Can I just have a word? Can I have a word with you? I feel it like it doesn't work. work. <laughs> Would you let me speak? Okay, do it. <laughs> okay, go. Welcome to the Nail Polish Sisters. Chef's kiss. I honestly don't even want to do an intro. I'm just so excited for this episode. So, shall we get into it? Yeah, it's it's. He's such an amazing person. Today we brought on Alex Edelman, who is a genius. And I don't say that lightly, just even talking to him. The words he was throwing at me and Jamie, I was like, We tried to ask for you guys for the words that we couldn't quite comprehend, but he said a lot of large, important words one after the other. And so I felt really dumb asking it multiple times. So I just asked once in a while. Now this is my favorite. Every episode I say it's my favorite episode, but I think this is my favorite because we dive into... Everything that is comedy, and this is our 10,000 hours episode, so we brought in someone who is 100,000 million percent put in his 10,000 hours into comedy, and he just explained every little question I've ever had watching stand-up. Yeah, in such a digestible way, though. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about how he spoke about and he everything. he broke it down perfectly. Yeah. He gave the rules. It's like rules. a master class, honestly. It was a little master class. He's just, he speaks so eloquently, and he is... So He's funny. so talented. He's as well. so funny. Anytime you possibly can digest. That's my new word of the day. Be digest sure his stuff. To follow him on Instagram. It's Alex Edelman. Twitter, Alex Edelman. Search him up on YouTube and watch some of his stuff because you're in for a treat and a laugh. And as this episode airs, his first show in London will have just premiered last night, which is just for us. The show runs from January 11th to February 26th. So if you're in London, Go see it Go because you're in for it. an absolute treat. Tell all your friends. Seriously, one of the best shows that I've seen. He is my new David Blaine. <laughs> and we Whoa. got him on. So David, once again, I'm talking <laughs> to you. If you want to come on, I have now have my Alex and I need my David. And then we'll all go to Hermosa Beach together and we will go to the <laughs> Comedy and Magic Club show. Me, Alex, David Blaine, and the Nail Polish Sister community. That is Lauren and Jamie. Great. <laughs> Thumbs up around the room. Cowabunga, baby. All right. Well, without further ado. Without further ado. Put your hands together for Magic Alex. A little bit of a welcome to Magic Alex. Please rate, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, we have an awesome guest today. So please welcome Alex Edelman. Hi, Woo! hi guys. Woo! I wish we had a live studio audience. It would make life so much easier. Yeah. There's Lauren. Um, yeah, there's Lauren. Lauren. Yeah, hi, there's Lauren. Your producer hi, Lauren. Sitting Just on the clap couch. for us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank there you. you All right, guys, welcome back to another 10,000 hours episode. As we've explained once before in Malcolm Gladwell's blockbuster book outliers blockbuster he, that's what it says on my note card so i'm Meow. reading it um he created the ten thousand hours rule which is sure it takes ten thousand hours of practice to achieve the mastery of your skill and we would we would put you in the category of master comic at this point 
You know, I th- I did once try to think, have I spent 10,000 hours on stage? And I think I'm getting there, but I've certainly spent 10,000 hours thinking about comedy. Yeah. That's the that issue. Counts. You don't know it how much. Count. Really? Yes. Yeah. You just have to put in on the one topic, like the focus is How comedy. long, if you break it down years-wise, is to, I think, yeah, I've spent about a decade taking it really seriously is probably the thing. But Dang. also there are some years in my life. Ah. I don't know. I don't want to step on anything, but I will say that it, some years of my life I've taken it more seriously than others in terms of like, you know, dedicating myself to a thing. But yeah, I guess 10,000 hours for comedy. I'm pretty much there. You want to tell the, tell the listeners, Alex accolades, Alex accolades. We have a, a segment on our note cards for that. Should I just read on through in his decade of comedy? All right. We got released a comedy album in June of 2020. Very specific. Love the month in there. Written for The Great Indoors on CBS oh and my God. Genji Kohan. <laughs> I think I Kohan. <laughs> Kohan. Kohan. The show was called Teenage Bounty Hunters. No one has seen it. Uh, Is it good? No. It's, oh. uh, it was <laughs> no. I thought I thought it was okay, but it was I'm gonna uh, go watch it after this. It's solid. I think it's I think it was I think it was a solid uh show and writing on it was fun. But Genji Cohan, who's one of the great TV writers of our age, who did Weeds <laughs> and on. Glow and Orange I is the New Black. Weeds. Oh my oh, god. I love weeds Have you too. seen Orange is the New Black? Yeah, no. of course. Yeah. She oh, did that's Orange. Who you're, that's who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Genji. She was the she yeah, was Genji. the Genji. on it. No, yeah. yeah. She, she's incredible. She's incredible. What else does it say on my accolades list? I'm so curious. <laughs> we got performed at the White House, which is unbelievable that's cool um well I, it says he is the creator so i'll just take that part out um of peer group a show about i am that's true the sh- what is that <laughs> see no, everything i've done <laughs> can you tell can you we tell didn't all do this research? okay well i'm waiting is... to talk about your show which i've actually seen which i yeah. can talk about peer group is a bbc radio 4 show it's a show on the on the bb it's a radio show on the bbc about young people so you guys technically are in that generation of mm-hmm. folks, but yes, it's a radio show. Not to plug, not to do a free commercial for one radio show, <laughs> another type of radio show, but yes. So that's what Peer Group is. All right, we'll All continue right. on. Yes, your newest show, which I have had the pleasure of seeing just for us. Amazing. Thanks. Amazing. Thank you. Like truly, and I was telling Bella this, like I didn't know what I was walking into because like I didn't have much information about it before. Mm-hmm. I was laughing. I was crying. I was just like, wow, this is so amazing. He's like, getting to do what he's doing you know so nice that was so it's such a fun thing to do i love doing that show people yeah it's a solo show if you're listening and you're like what is it it's a an hour and like 20 something minute comedy show about like you know identity and like assimilation which obviously i'm a i'm a practicing jew and i went to a meeting of white nationalists and that's roughly what the show is about incredible so that's it sums it up right that's a pretty good summary of the show it is great and it's been, yeah, it's been and going really well. And didn't you win? You won Best Show in Edinburgh, right? I did. I won the Edinburgh Comedy Award in 2014 for a show called Millennial. Before oh, the word was, was annoying. a different show. Totally different show. That This is my third solo show. That was my first solo show. But, uh, but yeah, solo shows are, like, if you actually want to talk about 10,000 hours, like, solo shows are really, I'm a stand-up comedian. I love doing stand-up comedy. But solo shows are when you take stand-up comedy and you really focus exactly on what the hour or so of material that you're talking about is going to be. And you keep banging at it until it gets like better and better and better and better and better. And then you're offering something that will make people laugh all the way through, hopefully, and also give them something that they can take away with that they think is like a really, I don't want to say profound, but like it's something 
Yeah. That is like hysterical. underlying message and like Yeah. There's something that has a, the show has a takeaway, right? The yeah. show is a takeaway beyond just like it's funny, although the show was funny. It's a prerequisite. Comedy shows should be funny all the time, I think. It's a good start for a comedy show. Yeah. Funny. It's a good underlying baseline. Yeah. But yeah. That is a pretty good summary of my quote unquote accolades, actually. That, Alex's that can... accolades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there should be a little jingle there. <laughs> starts to play yes <laughs> perfect um, yeah so should we dive right into les questions yeah that please. we have because please do. you've kind of started us with the one man one person show sure sure we shall call it yeah and i think our first question is just right off the bat stand up and creating anything is really hard and so where initially did you find like the courage within yourself to be like, oh, I can do this. I know I can do this. You know, I was a teenager and I loved it and I just wanted to try it because, you know, I was going to see a lot of comedy and I was really enjoying comedy uh, that I was listening to. There was a comment named Brian Regan who I thought was really funny. So I was like, uh, I want to be a little more like Brian Regan. And so I started writing jokes and like the margins of like, like, like my homework and stuff like that. And like when I was supposed to be in school. Or I was in school, but like when I was supposed to be listening, I would like write jokes in my little notebook and then I'd try them at like, you know, there was a music open mic at a pizzeria near my house and I rollerbladed down there. I was 16 in Boston. No, you didn't. Yeah, I rollerbladed to my You're lying. I swear. What color were your rollerblades? Black. They were. What color were the wheels? Um... uh, I don't remember. I feel like they always have fun wheels on rollerblades. Yeah, that's true. Rollerblades do usually have fun wheels. I've had a couple of good pairs of rollerblades. The I image wore of out you rollerblading right now is... It was how I got around Boston. It's so badass. I would rollerblade to the train station and then take the train and then get off the train and then... And rollerblade. Like, and rollerblade. <laughs> I would be on the train in my socks with my rollerblade. You know, like it was disgusting. But Boston was like a great place to grow up for that type of... Growing up in like a small, medium almost large city is yeah. like amazing if you want to be into like if you want to be like a young person getting into anything and I was so into comedy so like yeah just tried it a bunch and fell in love with it and then spent a year in Israel in rabbinical school and someone opened up a comedy club while I was there there was always like opportunity and so I was always yeah, like taking I advantage wanted to of say that. like is it sad that I'm envious that you call pizza places pizzerias like that just seems like a medium city kind of thing you know what i mean like what do you mean yeah pizzerias like you, that's you fire have, like you have pizzerias here not really no. it's too big too big of a town for a pizzeria what are you talking about like the local about? pizzeria like that's fire like i went to my here. local pizzeria on rollerblades and like did stand up like you're, that's fire you're telling me that first of all you could a thousand percent do that you rollerblade into to, fucking... First, we got to get you rollerblades. Yeah, you rollerblade, Step one. You rollerblade into Westwood or something like that. And There's a pizzeria a... in Westwood. I would give it as... Does, is 800 Degrees considered a pizzeria? No, 800 no. Degrees is a chain. Are you in... Are you, first, okay. Have, all right, I have three questions for you. One, have you ever eaten at a pizza place that's not a chain? To, yeah, right? My God, No, Jeannie. I don't think so. No, come on, dude. I actually don't think so. Now about, that I'm thinking about it. How about, about that it. place at Apollonia's, right? Apollonia's not a chain. Have you ever been there? No. It's good pizza. How about Moza? Yes. Yes. That, wait, is Moza a chain? There's I just not. a bunch of Moza's. Holy moly. <laughs> how about the place on Larchmont that has pizza? Village, Village pizza. pizza. No. Oh, I have had Village Pizza when okay. I went to Marlboro. In my, in my experience, a pizzeria is a place with lots of knickknacks and like people that have like 
you know, photos on the wall of celebrities that aren't celebrities. Like, oh, they're all holding their fist up like mm-hmm, they're boxers. Mm-hmm. I don't know why everyone in a pizza photo takes it. And a pizza, yeah. pizza, pizza, Ria's wall <laughs> photo has, I was always like taking, posing like they're boxers. But yeah, you, you wouldn't call a pizza. How about an ice cream parlor? No, but that's so cute. A parlor? Did you roller skate to the ice cream parlor? Yeah. I would, first of all, no. I never roller skated. I roller bladed. Roller skating is lame and roller blading is awesome. What is the difference? What's the difference? Uh, it's the alignment of the wheels. <laughs> so wait. So you're telling me you were the straight wheels underneath. Yes. Not the clunky wheels the on the side. I the straight wheels underneath. Oh, wow. Whoa. I could hit high speeds. Yeah. <laughs> you have to you want to really go good. downhill on roller roller skates, you're, you're risking your life. You want to go downhill. <laughs> rollerblades it's nothing you know what i mean lauren you're with me you get it yes wow you know what i've never seen such suburban disrespect so did we answer that question what about about the where did he find his courage yeah well look honestly i was you know i was a kid who loved something and there is an interesting thing about starting in art which is that by the time you're competent enough to realize that you were bad at something you've progressed to competence like i didn't know yeah. it was terrible at comedy until i was like started to gain a little bit of perspective and it's important to start something and be bad at it which i think is uh why it's harder for older people to start stuff mm. younger people start things because they <laughs> they don't have uh, a fear of being bad at something yet they have a sort of youthful ignorance that's yeah, a, that's yeah. a, uh, that word is rough shot. I, I wish I had a better word than ignorance. Like I don't hold me to that, but like, you know, it's good. It's, it's, it's okay to be bad as a young person at something, provide that you have the enthusiasm. And I strongly believe that if you're lucky enough with your life, you get to do what is at the intersection between your passion and your talent, but a mm-hmm. talent can be developed and cultivated and uh, passion. You can't uh, fake. So I had a passion for comedy um, and loved comedy and, and really wanted desperately to be a comedian. And also, you know what? I was looking up to other comedians and they would come through Boston and perform at a place in Faneuil Hall called the Comedy Connection. And I was going all the time and, and, and seeing the comedians and the people that worked there were also comedians. And so, uh, people that worked the door, the door guys were comedians. And so I'd, I'd show up and they'd sneak me in because I was too young to actually go. And uh, and then I'd go to the open mics on Mondays and, and, and try comedy at the open mic. So it, and it gave me a community very quickly. Right. So that's one of the other great things about comedy in the, you know, the early 2000s in a in a medium sized city like Boston is that very quickly I got to know everybody. And so I was seeing people. And even though when I moved to New York and went to NYU, you know, I started doing comedy. And Pete Davidson uh, and I spent a lot of time together uh, because Pete was also starting comedy and Jordan Rock, who was, who was uh, Chris Rock's youngest sibling and, and this guy, Nick Whitmer and this guy, Nick Callis and this guy, Danny Jollis, like, uh, and Jack Quaid, who's, uh, who's an, who's an actor now of, of, of really, of really decent he's renown. He's in The Boys, right? What? Is yeah, he's he... in The Boys. He's great. He's great. Isn't he Dennis Quaid's kid? I think his parents are actors. Yeah, yeah. I think, I his, think his father is Dean Dennis. Yeah, I think his father is Dennis Quaid. Pasta La Pasta. Oh, and his mom is um, uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yes. But he also, like, he was doing comedy at, and you know, at NYU. And so all of us had this, you know, there was a small but really lovely circle of, of people and, and being interested. So what gave me the courage early was that there were other people my age who were trying it. That's so fair. And that it promised me access to a community very quickly. 
And some of the people in that community were my heroes. Like I met Robin Williams very early in, in comedy. I said like five words to him, but, and just like watched him, but comedy is a very small, was a very small community. And so starting it immediately gave you entree into it. So, so that's why, that's what gave me the courage to start because the reward for it, for just trying it and being bad at it, but still being young enough to be okay at being bad, you know, being yeah. okay with being bad at it was, was a really great, um, really great tool for me. Dang. Robin yeah, Williams I feel like is so cool. I love Robin Williams so much. He's amazing. I have the weirdest memory of Robin Williams. Side note, oh, where no, my please, mom did a movie with him. It was called Old Dogs and it was him and John Travolta. It was yeah. like a Disney movie. And she was, she played, I don't even know what she was in it. And I remember going to the premiere and it was on Hollywood Boulevard and Robin Williams stepped out of his car and everyone starts screaming and whatever. And he just goes like this and everyone stops and he lowers his hands and the screaming gets silent. And then he holds his hands there and then he raises them back up and the crowd goes crazy. And he just was doing that for like two minutes straight. Yeah. yeah real and I was command. like, that is legendary. Yeah. I love Rob Williams. He's a big part of the show that the solo show that I'm doing has a moment in it at the beginning and the end about Robin Williams and him meeting this gorilla and the type of connection that he had with people. Um, and he's really uh, a special figure in my life, even though I met him only a handful of times. And his daughter, Zelda Williams, is a pretty good friend of mine. And uh, But yeah, I really, uh, I, I think about him uh, a lot and think about the sort of skill set that he had as a comedian a lot. And in the different, I won't get too into the nitty gritty on it, but like, you know, he had a very different, Obviously, he, he was very different from other comedians in a way that's really special to me and impossible to fake and impossible to replicate. And, uh, and yeah, just like being a young comic in the early 2000s in New York was very, or I guess, you know, late 2008, 2009, 2010 when I was in college and starting to sort of fall into it a little more. That was really special. I feel like stand-up is the one thing that I probably admire the most. Like, is people's ability to get on stage and, and do that. Why? Why is that? I think it's because I think it's honestly the thing that's would scare me the absolute most. Like it sounds scarier than jumping out of a plane to me. I don't know why. But like when I watch it, I'm always in awe of just the fact that somebody can step onto the stage and do it. Even if like their set like falls really flat or it's like a horrible set, I'm like, good for you. Do you know what's really interesting about stand-up comedy though is that it's the only thing that it's the worst it ever is the first couple of times that you try it and that's the promise, right? Like you're always gonna get, it will, it's counterintuitive because like skiing, I'm just using skiing, skiing is like, imagine if to learn to ski you had to start on the double black diamonds and then it got easier, like no one would ski. Yeah. But like, when you think about it, it is like, what's the worst thing that happens to you? Your thing falls flat? Fine. The next time you go up, it's going to be slightly better. And the time after that, it's going to be slightly better. And then eventually, like, you know, people sometimes ask me, like, do you still bomb? And I'm like, I mean, yes, but it's important to be able to do that occasionally. Like, yeah. if I, I have jokes that work, that have worked a thousand times, literally a thousand times. And if I go on stage and I do it and the joke doesn't work, then like the problem isn't me the pro yeah. or the problem isn't that joke. The problem is the audience the problem is the atmosphere. It's rare. Um, but sometimes I go on stage and the set goes well and you come on stage and people are like, that was a great set or something. And you say, thank you. But really a really good set would be if you tried three new things and two of them didn't go well, but one did go well. And so now you have this new thing. Yeah. And you can, and so like you're, 
your meter, your metric for success as a stand-up comedian, one starting, one with a lot of experience, shouldn't be, hey, I did well on stage. That is a humiliation aspect. That's an ego thing that's really hard to shake. But like what what young comics should understand is like, yes, it's scary to go on stage first it's at first and not do well, but you are learning, right? You're gonna yeah. get a few laughs here from one point you didn't think was gonna get a laugh. And then like, oh, I wonder what that is. And then you cultivate that area a little bit and then you get a few more laughs and then other things happen. And if you do that like 10 or 11 times, all of a sudden you have five or six minutes of material and like, you know, you start to get a little better and you start to cut the fat off the things and then you start to think of new things and then you're like, oh my God, maybe I'm finding my voice a little bit. And those that process takes years, it's hard to find stage time very early in your career is very difficult, but like it's a really fun journey for people who are able to like be okay with trial and error. But like you say, it is really scary for people starting out and I always have huge respect for people starting out. And I think if maybe I was in my twenties when I started, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be doing <laughs> Like it. what you were saying, I think like I've just passed the age where like now I am afraid of things. You I know totally disagree with you, but that is a, I totally think that like also part of it is that like how many like all the best things are things that are scary. Exactly. Like, truly such a cliche, but all the best it things. Is true. Like, I, I was terrified. And then also what's, what's such a superpower is like, I've done a lot of shows in the last month and a half that have scared me, but then I go on stage and I get my first laugh. Yeah. And then you're good. Yeah. Your body starts to settle down. You hold your hand up. You realize it's not shaking. Yeah. Like that's a really cool feeling that's i like remember that in like theater shows like i'd be like until i got my first laugh and then i was like flying yeah you know what i mean that is a huge thing to have your first uh to get your first thing and realize that you're going to be okay yeah such an enormous and then you feel true self-confidence right don't you feel true yeah and it's like the best feeling in the world it's like mm -hmm. why i think people continue to do it is you're like chasing that feeling of like this is the best I'm ever going to feel. But it's not just performers, right? Like sometimes people feel this way about like big tests, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're preparing for the SATs or their, or some huge college exam. And they're so nervous, so nervous, so nervous. And they sit down and, oh God, they're still nervous. But then they get the first problem. And even if they don't do it right, or even if they get the first problem wrong, they're like, okay, well now I'm in it. Yeah. And now my body is like focused. And now I have a task in front of me and I have to wonder how I'm going to do. I'm just going to do how I'm going to do. And like, that is a really special, I don't want to be like, this really special thing for human beings. But like, it really is really nice. People preparing for a big meeting or something at work and then they yeah, go and in. you and murder then, it. Exactly. It also teaches you like being present in any moment. That is so, that's a really great distillation of like, that's what it is, right? Like, cause your stresses aren't about, your stresses aren't about the, the thing itself, it's the effect that it's going to have on your life. It's a catastrophic thing. What if this doesn't go well? You're not actually worried about that thing going well. You're worried about losing an opportunity from it. So like being present and doing your best, that is you're, like, yeah, being present is the thing. It's a really good thought. Sorry, we got really <laughs> deep there, right? I love like it. it's surreal. We do that over here in the Nail Polish Sisters community. Mm-hmm. Welcome. This kind of goes, I don't know how to eloquently ask this. We <laughs> were ahead. trying to think of ways to make this more profound than it is but how do you write a joke um that's a really good question (laughs) that's my number one question when it comes to comedy i'm like how do you know what's gonna land that's funny where do you start um look all jokes have different uh it's so pretentious to say journeys but all jokes have different (laughs) all jokes have different uh you know sometimes i've never stolen a joke but sometimes i'll see someone or a bunch of people do jokes 
and I'll go, you know, I profoundly disagree with that. Mm. And so I'll write a joke that goes in the other direction. Or oh. I'll be like, and then I'll cut the... Also, incongruity is always really funny. Incongruity and uh, incongruities that... I have to be this person. To what does that mean? Incongruity means something that is not in step with oh, okay. how... Uh, Are you thinking right? about this triangles, is a good way of no. What? Like congruent triangles? Congruent triangles are triangles that I that are the same, right? Mm -hmm. That have the same mm -hmm. sets so, of angles. Yes. So, so yeah, an incongruity is triangles anything that, that doesn't not. sort of feel like it belongs yeah. in any aspect of our lives, and and so and so sorry, uh, I hiccuped or burped. <laughs> but so noticing, Lauren, you're going to cut that out for me. Yes, obviously, <laughs> fantastic. Don't worry. Noticing, but like a burp during a burp during a podcast recording is incongruent, right? Yeah. There's an incongruity there. It shouldn't happen, so it's funny. So like there is something funny about like like a laugh at a funeral or something like that. People oh, are really that's so funny. Right? But you know No, like, it is, but like that's when people do laugh. Have you seen Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore episode about the funeral for Bozo the Clown? Mm -mm. It's really funny. Is you like she's someone's giving eulogy for Bozo the Clown and she's trying to be really respectful. But what's funny is watching someone try not to laugh. Try not to laugh, yeah. right? It's the uh, it's always the uh, watching people do their their best is always funny. Actually, one of my like biggest icks and pet peeves is actually like when comedians laugh at their own jokes. It's is so that a bad thing to say? No, it's not. But sometimes I laugh. Um, I have a rule about that. Actually, I will laugh at the memory of something within the joke if it is funny like if i'm remembering something my brother did i'll laugh at that but i won't laugh at like the cleverness of my own yeah that's what thing. i'm talking about yeah though. i think if anyone ever laughs at the cleverness of something they're saying that can be irritating and i try to cut down on it big time but i will laugh at the funny memories that i'm recalling that's, so for the audience. that's different though that's like a nostalgia laugh versus like Oh my God, look how cute and funny I'm being. Exactly. You know but I'm I mean? saying audiences can, ten, can sense, sense that sub, subtextually. So, yeah. like, but yeah, all right. Where a joke comes from, if something's funny, if something's uh, weird, if something is anything that is out of normal or that is normal but shouldn't be, mm -hmm. pointing those out is always, is always a really good starting point, right? Or pointing out in an environment that somebody is in that they shouldn't be in, that is funny. Like observational. Observa right? Or like picturing. If you if someone tells a story, usually the story someone tells trying to get a laugh is about them being in an environment that they shouldn't have been in, mm -hmm. right? Like if they are, say, any outsider's perspective is funny, distinguishing why you're the outsider and why you don't belong there in a heightened environment is always a good place to start for comedy. So, because uh, comedy is about generating tension and then relieving it. So really clumsy comedians or really new comedians, you know, will generate tension in ways that are already tense, right? They'll talk about like race or sexual politic or like um, murder or something really taboo and generate tension and then relieve it with, you know, a punchline. But sometimes they don't always release the tension all the way. So yeah. you just wind up with like still real tension. Yeah. yeah then it's really awkward. Those are yeah. the worst ones to watch, I think. Those you're are just really, like, really hard oh, to watch. Oh, it like hurts. Oh, it's brutal. We were saying that your comedy is like very smart. Like it's very kind of, not to say that other sure, points sure, of I, comedy I you, aren't. Yeah, yeah. But you're smart. You're on the smarter side, not the offensive yeah. side. You know, there can be smart offensive. There is yeah. that line, but we think that Jamie mostly, because Jamie's the one who's seen, the show, seen your yeah. show. But it, yeah. I just watch your clips on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It just like took a different 
look at comedy, I thought, because I was like, oh, I'm still laughing and really enjoying this and thinking it's hilarious and smart, but not being told that like there were five dicks in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? And so like, was there a time where you actually like tried those out and you realized like that's not for you? Oh, sure. When I was young and I was a young comedian and I started doing comedy, a lot of my influences were bad comedians. And that's really tough because when you start any art, you're you're just like um, the writer Nabokov said that um, or Nabokov said that when you start writing, you're a crude blend of everyone you've ever read and enjoyed. And then when you're done writing, you're a fine blend of everyone you've ever read. And so I had a lot of really bad influences uh, early on. A lot of the comics that I Boston's comedy scene was not the most progressive comedy <laughs> scene in the world. So I saw lots of um, racism, sexism. Uh, homophobia and so some of my early stuff was like bad and I wouldn't do it also I have jokes now that I like you know that aren't considered taboo but I think in five years they will be or or that I've stopped doing I read a book about uh, by this guy who's extremely overweight his name's Tommy Tomlinson he wrote a book called Elephant in the Room and halfway through the first page I was like I'm never telling a joke about someone's weight ever again like it's just like you get your own standards and you like grow a little bit as a person. So like, I actually don't hold it against people sometimes like their jokes, especially if they're young comedians. Like, um, I can't remember who said it, but a comic said that like, if you showed LeBron James a picture of himself at five, three, it was like, is this you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Like, are you five, three? And you're like, no, I've grown, you know, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm seven feet tall now. I'm much taller. <laughs> but like, uh, but yeah, so like growth is part of the process, but you know, I think there are, good ways to make jokes about offensive topics. Like I have a joke that I don't do anymore or do very rarely anymore, but post always on Thanksgiving, which is about me coming out. This is my favorite of your jokes. I love doing that joke, but the joke, the joke, if you're listening, it's about um, (laughs) every Thanksgiving, I come out to my family. I'm not gay. I just thought it would be hilarious. (laughs) And so I said, I have this uncle who doesn't like gay people. And because of that, I've actually come out of the closet on Thanksgiving, <laughs> every Thanksgiving for the last six years. And so like the, the, oh, Did you you're do so it this sweet. year? You're so sweet. I mean, no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't with my family on Thanksgiving. Fuck. I got a million texts like Alex who coming out on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, and I love doing the joke and the, but the subject of the joke is people coming out, <laughs> but the butt of the joke is homophobes. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the Again, end of the joke, very me. smart. And so, like, the subject of the joke and the object of the joke are sometimes two different things, but it can be really hard for an audience to parse. And I actually do think that part of it is the responsibility of the comedian to make it clear who the joke is on. And so, I think it's hard because, like, uh, but I also think, by the way, that sometimes comedians, I hate using the word canceled. I will never earnestly use that word if I can help it but like yeah. sometimes comedians are called out mm-hmm. for their jokes and in the back of my mind I'm like that's not really a problem but I think of it usually as like a craft issue right like it is your job to sort of tweak mm. it so that an audience even an audience that doesn't watch a lot of comedy can understand that what you're talking about is you know I have every joke in the show that I've done every single joke people have taken issue with at one point or another. Yeah, thousands, but everybody's going to take issue with something. That's just the world we live in right tens now. Tens of thousands of people have seen the show at this point. So now some of them, you know, like some of them go, well, I thought this joke about, you know, the Kennedy assassination was in bad taste. And you're like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of in bad taste, but it's not like, 
Yeah, but like don't eat here then. Yeah, but it's but it's tough. It's tough balancing, but it's tough balancing don't yeah. eat here with like I'm serving this food. Like it's yeah. a really yeah. difficult. Yeah, it's fair. But it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to line to walk. You know, I have this comedian who I think of as like the inoffensive comedian, and my favorite as a kid. But he does a voice for like a stupid character, and a friend of mine who has autistic sibling was like, I hate the voice he's doing an autism voice. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, even that comedian who was the most ben- basic, banal, well-intentioned, perfect writer, mm-hmm. clean comedian has that thing. And I wonder if he still does the voice. I bet he doesn't. But like his early material had that, like the world changes around jokes and like, that's totally okay. And like, hopefully in a couple of years, like we won't, we'll talk differently about like people's beauty standards. We'll talk differently about like, you know, people's mental health, like, and the jokes that people are doing will reflect that. I think that's really, you really consume a lot of comedy. Obviously. Well, when you were talking about like NYU and comedy, I would go like to the cellar every single week by myself. Favorite comedy place. Yeah. I mean, my favorite place to do comedy in New York is that my favorite here is a place called the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. What is it called? The Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa magic? Beach. They do they magic? They have Magic One Magician a show. No, they don't. Shut up. We're going. You'll have such a good time. Bella it's so good. is her wheels are a turning. You'll come next time. Next time Please. I'm down there, you'll come. It's Please. so much fun. It's a really, yes. <laughs> it's a really great comedy mm-hmm. club. It's down, it's down in Hermosa Beach. So it's a schlep, but it's such a blast. It's worth it. It's so good. I, I love being there. It's like my favorite and they treat the comedians. Well, the secret to being a good comedy club is to pay your comedians well and to feed them very well. Yeah. And once you do that, people are like all the best comedy clubs in the country Comedy on State in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Comedy Works in Denver, both clubs. Um, uh, You know, there's Laugh Boston in Boston, which is one of my home clubs. Like, those are, they pay the comedians well, they feed the comedians well, they treat the comedians well. And those are such huge. Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana has a good reputation, too. Like, you'd be surprised at where the place is. Yeah, it's so wild that you've just been, like, everywhere. I haven't been everywhere. I've never been to like Atlanta. I've never been to New Orleans. I've like big parts of the South. Texas I haven't really done. But the improvs are great too. Lots of good improvs around the country. It's a really interesting. It's so much fun. Comedy is so much fun. I cannot believe I get to do it as a Do you find that in different states you have extremely different audiences? Oh yeah, of course. Also, like not everyone knows who I am. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people I'm still like a fairly niche comedian. Yeah. So like People will come to my shows in New York. Like, in New York, I get, like, stopped in the street. But I, Hell no yeah. one has ever stopped me in, like, you know what's sick? I went to, a like, Sweet Greens in Charlotte. And this kid was like, oh, fuck yeah, Alex Edelman. <laughs> and I was like, what? And the kid behind the counter was like, oh, dude, I just saw you on Conan. And I was like, I love you. Like, you know, <laughs> I love you. you know, That's this, special. Although it was so funny, though, because this, I posted, wait, was it Charlotte or it was Durham? Maybe it was Raleigh or Durham in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and, like. I went to the state capitol and they had like a confederate statue or something like that. And I posted like, ah, oh, can you believe that they have this? <laughs> and the same kid who recognized me at Sweet Greens texted me like, or like DM'd me on Instagram. I guess he saw it on Instagram. He was like, fuck you, man. That's <laughs> I was like, okay, you can't, can't control every. <laughs> can't have it all. You can't have it all. But also like, you know, it's good to have, it's good to have perspective oh from different. I like that about going to different places. Oh my God. That's our history. <laughs> that's Don't our history, man. It. But like, like, see, okay. like, I don't want to be like, that's a joke. That's incongruity. But like, that's incongruity, right? Yeah. Like the idea of like, oh, who I would like as a, as someone who likes my stuff. It turns out, you know, a lot of jokes can be summed up as it turns out. 
But yeah, how do you build a joke is a really good, interesting Here's question. another, a follow-up question for Please. that. And as I worded it. So you know the like the saying, chicken or the egg, which came first? Mm -hmm. do Don't you forget think... your intro to that question. As oh, a as wise... a wise woman once asked. Bella is the wise I'm woman. I'm the wise woman. Chicken the or egg? Woman. Chicken or egg? When it comes to jokes, and this is my example, was your coming out on the holidays during Thanksgiving <laughs> joke. Yeah. That was a bit you did that then turned into a joke. Is a lot... Do you find it like bits you've just been doing for a while then end up being jokes? Or do you like fabricate your own bits and things to turn them into jokes? Every Sometimes jokes are just excuses to say one line in a really funny way. Or sometimes a joke is just a vehicle for... I like to split a comedian style into two things. There's content, which is what you say. And there's aesthetic, which is how you say it. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes you do it, a joke that's more aesthetic, right? Like this will be fun to say a certain way. And sometimes you'll be like, this is a really interesting thing to say. And so, like, the two things inform each other. The best jokes have both both things re going for it in a really, really cool, fun way. But, um, but look, I don't know. Like, honestly, the, que mm -hmm. the question is, like, uh, some jokes I've thought of and written down. Some jokes I've improvised on stage and kept doing. Some jokes I saw in real life and thought were funny. I have this joke that I do with, like, in my life, if I ever, like, a friend will see a dog and want to pet the dog. I'll always I am say, the friend. Yeah, you're the friend. <laughs> I'm always like, what's your name? And then the owner goes like, oh, his name is Bishop or something. And I'll be like, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I was talking to him. And it's a thing that I do in real life. <laughs> so sweet. Oh my god. You can do oh my yeah, god. So, I'm just picturing someone doing that to me with my dog and me being like his name is Milo. Like, I wasn't talking to you. Be like, look at the Milo like, can you believe this? Oh my god. It's so inappropriate. It's so disrespectful. Oh my god. Bella. I'm literally tearing up. That's so bad. That's so sweet. Oh my god. Great. Well, say like, yeah, it's for an audience of one person. <laughs> I'm also the audience. Yeah, but the way to say it on stage might be different. Like if a yeah. comedian said that on stage, um, like I haven't done that on stage yet. Like I'm not quite sure how to nail it. I'm not quite sure the package for it. I'm not quite sure the delivery. Um, do I just say I do this thing with dog people? Do I say, <laughs> hey, any of you have a dog? And I'm and someone raised their hand. I'm like, would you mind like pretending like we run into each other on a street. Like, this is a fun thing that I do with people. And who's your dog? I'll be like, hey, what's your dog's name? I'll be like, his name is Milo. I'll be like, I wasn't talking to you. Like, I don't know if it will get that. That might be the way to get the laugh. But yeah. there are so many different ways to take something funny. Sometimes young comedians or people doing open mics make this mistake where they're like, I'll just tell the funny thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, there is I'll a real skill. The funny thing. Yeah, to packaging. Mm -hmm. Like, that's part of the intelligence that makes really great comedians great which is the way they package things mike birbiglia who produced my solo show is one of the best comics in the world at this gary goldman who's yeah, another great love. truly one of the best and he just packages things in a really unusual way and it's very writerly he sits down and he writes constantly he's a great writer like i think writing is a real key to um being a comedian is like being an athlete in that one way which is that like so much of the game is one off the court. Like yep. the training that you do before, the preparation that you do before, the type of team that you actually are, the type of athlete that you actually are, it, it's preparing off the fields before you get on there. Cause like there are really funny comics, really naturally gifted comedians who just get on there and they're perfect, but it takes writing, it takes preparation. Seinfeld is an inveterate preparer. Preparing is everything. 
And it's, I think it's 90% of comedy is your preparation. So, well, that goes into the 10,000 hours thing of like your thinking is actually like in a way prep work. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So, because most of it is off the court. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, it's like acting too. When I you're also doing always the acting work. Mm -hmm. You do the ninety percent, and then Absolutely. you're on stage, and you have your fun and your freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that? I'm sorry, I have so many questions. But for when you're writing jokes, I don't. I just okay. Here's the thing with comedians, and now that you've said the packaging thing, that's clearly a part of it. But how do you guys have so many funny stories always? Yeah, yeah, is it a lie? Is it half a lie? First of all, it's a half a lie. Okay, or mm -hmm. not like half a lie. I say my. It's my fabricated. Stuff is like three quarters of the way true. Also, like truly every story is funny. It's just the way you tell it, right? It's the way you drill down on it. It's the way every, well, actually, that's not true. Every story is funny. Not every story is interesting. Like, and being interesting is a huge part of what comedy is. Yeah. Whenever, like, people ask me to describe the arc of a solo show, or even the arc of a really great story, I always tell them, here are the steps. This is a really simple trick. Or there's a really simple way to do it. Like this is actually like worth its weight in gold. I think this one thing. Who you are, who they are, what happened, what's changed. That's a really great way to tell a story. Who you are in this group, who they are, the group, what happened, and what's changed about you, about the group, about the dynamic, about what the situation about the status quo that was before. That's a really great way to like tell a story. And so comedians are always, I think. I, how do comedians have really uh, funny stories is because who you are is always a weird thing. Comedians are almost by definition weird people. They don't have to be like crazy wearing a bunch of like funky clothing or like very ultra, but in their mind, like very like out loud and like, like ooh. yeah, ooh. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is that where ooh came from? Like ooh. I have no idea. It's French, <laughs> I think. Ultra. Ultra. Right, Lauren. How do we define ultra? <laughs> What's the word that Lauren used today? Erudite? Erudite? Yeah, it means like a uh, very specific type of knowledge. Not me. I don't <laughs> think that's true. You probably have specific types of knowledge. It just has to be like you have to really drill down and get specific on what. Wow, this is coming across as a really mean insult. But like, <laughs> I don't think that that's true. There's no way that you're not erudite. Everyone's erudite. That's the thing. Every story is interesting. Everyone's erudite. It's just like you need to figure out the angle yeah. at the which you look at it. Yeah. Of everything specifics you have interesting stories you grew up in a really high pressure high octane fast environment you got to go to like premieres you got to see interesting people all those all these people have had really you know interesting weird complicated lives like both of you have also probably very adult at a very young age right like i'm just this is all conjecture i don't know but like it feels like you have in you, like you're like how do comedians have interesting stories? I was like, motherfucker, you have interesting stories. <laughs> I know you have interesting stories. This is like hard to admit, but like my currency in the world is my ability to tell interesting stories. And so I That's don't That's such go, a wild way to put it though. Yeah. It's like not when you fun. boil it down to that, it's really that's what another thing about like stand-up comedy that I'm always saying to Bella, which is like, I think with acting, it's so great because you can even if you're being completely yourself, you're hiding behind a different name. You're hiding mm -hmm. behind somebody else's writing, whatever it is. When you're a stand-up, you are literally you on stage. And everybody is like 
you are the commodity. Do you know you're what I'm per, saying? Your perspective is the commodity. Which is crazy because it's like if your perspective like falls short, you're done. You probably like, just don't you're not. make it in the first place. Yeah. But also your perspective gets refined. It's the sum total of I sort of see my life or my perspective as the filter through which I push different stories through. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my perspective is from some as someone who is not from L.A. or New York. My perspective is as someone who is deeply afraid of being alone. My perspective is from someone who had a religious upbringing and still cares a little bit about, you know, different aspects of that. My perspective is as someone who loves unfamiliar people in unfamiliar places and wants to hang out with everyone and <laughs> always have fun conversations. And so, like, that is useful to know your own perspective. It's useful to write down defining qualities about you, not in a judgmental way, but is, as a way to figure out, you know, the filter through which you see the world what you're airbrushing away, what you're focusing on, what you're really serious about, what you're really interested in. But yeah, it is interesting that like I've commodified that. Mm -hmm. Like I made money off that filter. Mm -hmm. And so like investing it has been good for me personally, but it's also it's also something to exploit for commercial value. And what does that do to that filter? Does yeah. it, you know, is it, it does it encourage unhealthy behavior does it encourage i was gonna uh, say does like, that tangle sorry to interrupt no go ahead please please does please. it tangle with your personal life at all or like sure. has it in terms of like i can't imagine there's like times where you're having conversations where like something funny happens and then like all of a sudden it's like work brain turns on you know what i mean like oh i need to store that somewhere for like when i'm about to go do something it, it used to be that specific problem i used to have now i don't really now i'm not like oh well i'm gonna sometimes people are like do you do it for material did you do stuff like, did you go to this meeting for material, like this meeting of white nationalists? And I'm like, yes and no. Like my whole life is not lived for material, but my whole life is lived in service of having, right. is of having a life that is interesting to me, that is someone who is less lonely, who's someone who's seeing unfamiliar things. Like I live a life where that is normal to me. I mm -hmm. go to conferences for things I don't understand. <laughs> I go to art exhibits I think are fucking stupid. I go to <laughs> concerts for music that I hate or music that I... I went to a Christian contemporary music concert a few oh. weeks ago in Tyson's, Virginia. It's... That's not... That's hilarious. It's not ordinarily the type of music that I love. Well, why is it hilarious? Because you're not supposed to be there. Exactly. So the incongruity, that's incongruity. Yeah. So like, it's mm, funny. But look at us. It's funny, but it's also like... An interesting, I'm not going just for the story, although, like, of course, I'm going to tell people about going. <laughs> like, I'm going because also, like, what if I connect with something there? Right. Then yeah. I have, like, I actually connected with one of the songs or, like. So, like, you're saying your perspective and, like, your work kind of, like, mesh in a way? I think curiosity, right? The word is curiosity. It informs my perspective. It informs the way I live my life. Also, like, you go to things because you're curious all the time. Mm -hmm. People go to things because they're curious, right? It's the number two reason to go to anything. Number one is because you need to go for, you know, because you've committed yourself in some way. But number two is curiosity. People go check something out because they're curious. That's what every trailer in the world hopes to evoke for its film. People see that they go, oh, I'm curious to see that. No one goes, oh, I have to go see that. My cousin is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. They're like, you know. There's someone out there Except doing that. for The oh, Rock fuck. cousin. Oh, fuck. The uh, uh, Dwayne, I'm really excited to see Jungle Cruise. I didn't, you know, like <laughs> you see it and you're like, oh, that makes me curious. I like that guy. I like that thing. I like that IP. I'll go check it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, curiosity is the, you know, number number two thing. I love that word. Curiosity. Yeah. It's Again, my, it's nice in the mouth. Curiosity. It's my defining characteristic. <laughs> I'm a curious cat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice alliteration. I'm not a cat. 
incongruity. Sure. There you go. It's a good, it's, it's not a great joke, but it is a joke. I'm not a cat. Yeah. Well, should we ask the wrap up question? The wrap it up, you're done question? We'll wrap it up, you're done question. This one's, okay. this one's a bit silly. This Go is a ahead. silly question for you. The like closing question. Please. Out of the last three purchases you made on Amazon, tell us one of them. Hmm. <laughs> the last, oh my God. I bought this, uh, I bought this thing called a neti pot. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Hell of yeah. Course. But it's a mechanical neti pot. What? Elaborate. Yeah. It shoots. It's a machine <laughs> that shoots water up your nose, and and it so comes like out. a water pick for your nose, kind of. Do you understand? Because neti two... pot, you go pour. Oh yeah, not this one, baby. <laughs> okay. All right. You <laughs> not have a little this tank, one, baby. You have a little tank, and then you put a salt pod. Yeah. You close it, and it crunches the salt into <laughs> the water, and then when you have the saline mix, it's got a little thing at the at. It's got a little thing with two. Okay. Nozzles. Mm -hmm. And you put the nozzles in each nostril. Oh, wow. And you hit the button and you hear a whirring noise and it <laughs> shoots the water up. And then when it comes out the other end, it goes into. <gasps> so it catches thing. it. It catches it in the bottom of the neti pot. I'll show you a video once we. Okay. I'll show you a video. And it is the most disgusting thing. <laughs> and I used to, and I had this wonderful uh, crew in DC, these girls, uh, Rachel and Lana and. When I finished, there we go. Let's see what we've won. And I look at that. The gunk that's come out. And like examine it from the bottom. Let's see what we've won. Let's see what we've won. And by you can't neti pot too much. It makes your nasal passages raw, but it's good for yeah. performers. It cleans you out. And also you feel you feel clean. But um, but it is you can't do it too close to the show. Can't do it too close to the show, otherwise it's a real disaster. So um, but yeah, that was what I that's what I got. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so Great much answer. for you so for much. coming on the show. Oh, um, yes. Where can our listeners find you on social media or in this world? My Instagram and my Twitter are uh, Alex Edelman, and I'm doing shows in London, January 11th through February 26th. I'm about to announce shows in Boston. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm very easy to find on social media. Please, if you're listening to this. Please find me on Twitter or Instagram because those are the or Instagram is I enjoy Instagram more. Yeah, every honest. time you have like a new like an extended run or like a new run, I get so excited. I'm like, yes, <laughs> oh, I love it. Doing it. I love doing, doing it. it. The show's going it's so on. What's going on? Whoop 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 whoop. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a segment called Surprise, motherfucker. Where our producer Lauren sends us a video, an article, a podcast, a sound clip, a TED talk, who knows, something. And Jamie and I are not allowed to discuss it until we are sitting here in these chairs. So this week's article was a video called something about cuddling. I cuddle people for a living. Some we'll post the video. Was it on it Refinery29? I think it was. It was along the lines of my job is to cuddle people. So Jamie? I was so wildly uncomfortable. And I don't, this one was really hard because I actually like had to make my face not have any reactions because I watched in a different room from Bella and I, I had to do a cool down before I came back in here because I was so, so afraid. I felt so, every part of me just wanted to disassociate and never touch someone again because there were like these close-ups of feet touching and 
I feel like I want to start crying. It was so uncomfortable. And you know what, though? Of course, me being me, I have to take the glass half full part of it where I'm like, you know what? She's doing good for some people. And what? (laughs) (laughs) And what? I hated it so much. I can't even find anything. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. me being me. I turned it off after 36 seconds. Oh, I watched all seven <laughs> minutes and 40 seconds. I know. It, you were well, gone for a while. I was like, oh, shit. She's watching the whole thing. Terrifying. I watched 36 seconds. It felt like an hour. And I have a lot to take away from it. One, weird ASMR was going on with the way she was talking into whatever. Mike. She was like, and I cuddle people. And I was like, huh, huh. the entire 30 seconds just dry heaving in my bed alone not good number two was when the dog licked the guy's feet i was like why why are you bringing a dog into this the ear just, touching did just you get leave. to the ear touching i mean i got to 36 seconds <sighs> i didn't Bella. get too much i got to some and the other thing is how how it felt so non-consensual in every possible way like i get your job is to cuddle people what? oh no i'll tell you where i got i got where she goes we start with a heart hug and then they hugged and oh she's you like, didn't watch any of it no and she's you like you didn't know about the other positions no i couldn't jamie i couldn't the heart hug made me uncomfortable a normal hug somehow made me uncomfortable bro no no Can, no bro and then and then she but it was the noises she was making like could we have not <sighs> like oh, we're gonna do a heart hug <sighs> i was like huh. okay well huh. she does go into consent though I mean, you cheated because you didn't listen to the whole thing. Her goal is to get people to establish boundaries and then be okay with saying no and have people thank each other for their no's. Learn to ask for what you want, but also be okay with not getting what you want, essentially. She is trying to be consensual by like, she asks people like, oh, can I touch? Well, clearly they're recording this video. There has been consent given, but it just feels wrong. It is so they did there was one image of them all like in a train like laying on each how other how many were there 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 had to be like four or five people bella when i tell you do you know who didn't give their consent the dog <laughs> all right and on that <laughs> hot takes hot takes alex edelman is my new david blaine um <laughs> another hot take is i need to read more after that conversation i need to learn bigger words so i'm going to become super Erudite with my words. Erudite. 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 Erudite with my words. Guys, big word there. See? Hot take. I'm buying a dictionary to carry around in my purse. Um, Hot take. I now hate cuddling. Hot take. I don't want to know what it's like to be touched. Okay, you're done. <laughs> Please rate, like, and subscribe on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nail Polish Sisters is hosted and produced by Jamie Belushi and Bella Giannulli. Produced by Lauren Boone. Edited by Jordan Fair. Original music by Joey Cars. The, the Nail, Nail Polish, Polish Sisters, Sisters is a Gulfstream Studios production. And if you've made it this far, 100 points. 